La Rouge Rugby wishes to extend our condolences to the family and friends of rugby ATL owner Marcus Calloway. A lifelong fan of rugby, Marcus was instrumental in getting rugby ATL started and was able to see the team make their first championship final in 2021. He will be greatly missed. Hello everyone and welcome to La Rouge Rugby Podcast. I'm Sue Hardy and thank you for joining us in 2022. Hope you had a wonderful Christmas and a festive new year wherever you are. And hoping it had a good holiday season as well is Derek Brissett. Derek, happy holidays. Welcome back. How have you been? Yeah, man. Happy New Year. Um, hope Santa was good to you and the, uh, the rest of the family. Um, you know, hopefully you got to uh, enjoy something before we got told we're no longer allowed to go outside anymore. So um, that's, you know, that was a bit of a bummer at the end of the uh, the Christmas season there. But hey, um, yeah, man, did you, uh, did you get any fun like rugby gifts or anything over the holidays? Did you get up to anything, anything exciting, anything special while we had uh, a couple of weeks off from the podcast? Well, you know, I think it was a good time to stay indoors, especially whilst the uh, cold winds were blowing around. And, and the fact that you're not allowed before. to go anywhere. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's the thing. It's like, yeah, as, as, you know, that every, things are locking down again, but it's also too cold to leave your house. So you're kind of in a catch-22 yeah. situation. I remember, Um, so the day we put out um the last episode when we interviewed the Vancouver Wave, um, I think so that was the Friday that Spider-Man came out and mm-hmm. I went to go see S- Spider-Man and it was like a full theater, right? Where you're still at. And then like the next day they were like half capacity and you can't even drink or eat in the movie theater anymore. And then like two weeks later, we're like, or just after Christmas, I guess we're in a, basically back to uh back to what we it feels like back to like what we were like last year which isn't really a fun place to be but i just I brought down this whole bad. podcast what a start to the new yeah. year it's just be like hey let's depressing stuff here all right i think it's only fair and reasonable we give our viewers and listeners some more uplifting news yeah did you get it you get anything fun for christmas any like rugby themed gifts out there i didn't really get any rugby themed gifts but i did get this frame if you're watching on youtube Rouge Rugby YouTube channel. Um, this frame for the uh, painting that's done by Samantha Waj, I believe, and it's of, oh, that's cool. uh, Captain Lucas Rumble. Oh, is that is that the one she does? Uh, like with the rugby ball? Yeah, she uses the rugby so, ball. That's really cool. So you got a frame for that? That's a rugby themed gift. Yeah. So yeah, you know, we'll uh, clutch at straws and uh, we'll call it. Yeah, yeah no, no. The thing is, I've had worked. it. How's for... that clutching at straws? It's well, I guess. Did you? Oh, good. That's it. I've had I've had the artwork for like a few months now. I just haven't had the means to properly show it off. But uh, oh, fantastic oh. painting, Sam. Really appreciate it. And speaking, of... it actually looks nice because it's like if you are watching your screen, it is the only thing that's visible on your wall. Yeah, it's... that was the yeah. intention. Uh, I intend to get some more artwork up at some point but uh you know it's only the start of the year we've got to grow the wall gradually yeah get samantha to come in with the rugby ball just paint the entire wall i'll have to have a chat with my landlady about that <laughs> better to speaking ask for the, permission it's fine speaking of the arrows we have had some news over our break obviously taking a few weeks off we've had some signing news and we've got some great names coming into the squad with a few uh, familiar names and a few New faces. Um, so starting off, we have Brandon Ferguson joining from the Peterborough Pagans uh, as a winger. We have now officially from drafty to signed player Sam Mace, 23-year-old hooker from the Kingston Panthers, also Bytown Blues and Ottawa GGs. Uh, from Hawke's Bay in New Zealand, we have Denon Robinson Bartlett, a 21-wing or centre combo. Um 
Joining at wing and fullback is Matt Hood of the Aussie Sevens. So joining from the Sevens World Series into the Fifteens once more. Uh, now a familiar face is joining us, or I say familiar face, more familiar beard. Mike Shepard is back for his fourth season at lock for the Arrows. Um, they, they Arrows already had the rights to this player, and now they've signed him. It's a flanker, James O'Neill, acquired by that trade with Los Angeles. Uh, another fullback signing, a graduate of the Arrows Academy, is Mitch Vorilek. And now another familiar face joining in the front row, um, the oldest debutante for Rugby Canada. It is Rob Brower, age 39, joining us for his fourth year as prop. And we've gone from oldest debutante to youngest ever player in the MLR is Kobe Faust, 19-year-old winger, here for his second year with the Arrows. I'm filling out an under-20s Canadian star a few years ago. Been playing with Barmy Beach at fullback and is now back into the professional scene is Connor McCann. So a lot of names to uh, go over there, Derek. Anyone that Sparks your interest? Well, I mean, obviously, all of them spark interest. Uh, Toronto Arrows podcast. We uh, we should be interested in all of them. Um, there's, you know, kind of quite the range here. Um, you got obviously got um, you know some drafted players, a couple academy guys mixed in, um, some longtime you know um, Ontario amateur, you know, highly touted Ontario amateur players as well. Um, you got a couple overseas signings mixed in too, right? So it's a pretty um, fun group. And, you know, when uh, you don't do a podcast for like four weeks, so the, uh, the signings tend to add up here. Um, I think the thing that really kind of does um, stick out to me with the group, though, is um, before, like, I think in the last episode, um, before, kind of before we took our, our Christmas break here, um, you know, we we're kind of looking at the Toronto Arrows roster and we we're talking about, you know, what they need, um, not necessarily as far as like talent or like holes to fill on the roster, but just, you know, number of bodies at certain positions just weren't quite added up. Right. And, um, you know, the two ones that kind of jumped out was like, you know, maybe some some extra you know, some extra forward or front row depth was needed. They're just as, again, not like a comment on the quality, but just like the number of guys wasn't quite yeah. there yet. And then, um, and the, uh, you know, the fullbacks and the wingers were, you know, there was a lo- lot of room to add some bodies in uh, for those two positions. And you kind of look over the, uh, over the break here and uh, Santa, you know, Senna was kind to the arrows and dropped off plenty of uh, front row depth and uh, fullbacks and wingers. Um, Mike Shepard and James O'Neill are pretty much the only two of the 11 guys that they signed over that break that don't necessarily fit that description. Um, obviously, you know, Shepard is, you know, he's in his fourth season with the arrows. It's like, he's been a very key player, um, for that, for that squad, um, in all, all the seasons that he has played. Um, and you know, it's, going to be a big part of like a physical second role for the Toronto arrows, right. That helps them. Um, that's certainly the strong engine room that helps that front row helps the arrows be able to win scrums. So great to see him back as well. Um, that's, uh, the arrows locks are looking very good with Cellini, Bailey, Shepard, Wadden, all Wadden and even flesh, all kind of returning or being acquired. And uh, then he also got uh, James O'Neill, who, you know, like we said, was part of that trade with uh, for Ben Lesage um, to L.A. And, you know, he's been one of the top, you know, Canadian prospects. Right. So obviously excited to have him on the have him officially on the team. Uh, and, um, you know, but as for the rest of it, like it's, uh, you know, the biggest all of other additions, obviously, um, Brower and Mace coming back. Um, the Arrows front row looks quite frankly, excellent, um, you know, across the board. It was something that when we were talking about the team at the end of last season, um, the front row kind of seemed like it was a bit of an issue last year. Obviously, part of that issue was the fact that they were playing in Atlanta and really at times were very limited to what they could actually do about it um, as far as like, you know, bringing in other guys and, you know, obviously ultimately, you know, players from other teams ended up getting loaned to the arrows to kind of, you know, to play front row positions at different points in the season. Um, But you kind of look at the, uh, the depth right now, like, so 
Brower and Mace being signed. So, you know, at, at loose head, you got like Keith Sione Brower, which is some good depth there. Um, Hooker, you got Quatran McRogers and then Mace, you're uh, one of your, your draft picks. Um, and um, at tight head, you got uh, Roland, uh, Salmon, Ouellette, and Warden, right? So you got a couple draft picks mixed in there. And then, uh, you know, Salmon and Sione, obviously, are, you know, some overseas additions that uh, could bolster the front row and um, you know, bringing in back a guy like Brower who, you know, in 2019, right. He was uh, the first team all-star had a first team all MLR, right. For, um, you know, at at the loose head prop position. And, you know, even in the, uh, the handful of games that he actually got into at the end of the season last year, um, Right. Like he, he still looks like he still looks like he's got it and he's ready to go. Right. So um, I, I personally like am ex- excited to see him back because he's, uh, you know, he's quite a bit of fun to uh, to watch player. And, you know, obviously, you know, having that veteran leadership on the team is going to be a huge benefit. And just like I said, like he can like like however, you know, however, Peter Smith decides that this depth chart shapes up like any any one of those loose head props being your your third you know, your third choice loose head is a, is a good kind of a good problem to have when you're kind of looking at some of the quality guys in the front row there. And um, yeah, then the, the, uh, the next thing that uh, kind of needed to be added was, um, was definitely, you know, the fullbacks and wingers, which came in a variety, variety of players. Obviously you got, um, you know, a couple of guys like um, Faust, obviously returning, you got Connor McCann, Mitch Vorilek, um, so Vorlex an academy guy. McCann is just a like a balmy beach legend. Um, you know, uh Fergus, Brandon Ferguson coming in from Peterborough too. And then you got a couple guys overseas, right? So um Matt Hood, who's you know Australian sevens player, um, tons of speed to burn, which is obviously super important as a as a sevens player. And uh Denon Robinson Bartlett, who I guess um, you know, who's a wing center. And like, he's only 21 years old from New Zealand too. So that's, I think that's, that's huge to get a guy that young coming over from New Zealand as well. And obviously, um, you know, Hawks Bay, right. So it's a, you know, a connection with the formis, right. From, uh, you know, the, uh, the new uh, forwards coach, right. So the, you know, who was also at Hawks Bay. So it's nice to see. It's like, obviously, you know, it helps when it's like, We've kind of talked about it before, as you can kind of see around the league, right? Coaches like bringing in guys that they've coached before and every coach kind of has their guys. Right. And obviously, you know, being a, being a wing and center, you know, he maybe not, maybe wasn't necessarily involved in too much of the, uh, the scrum or the, uh, the line out coaching that, uh, the, um, the was doing down in Hawks Bay, but, um, you know, obviously a player on the team. And if you're on the team, like you're the coach is going to be around, but it's, um, but obviously, you know, he can speak to, you know, the type of person, the type of player that Robinson Bartlett is. So, um, looks like that's going to be, uh, you know, it'll be a ton of fun and the depth charts starting to kind of take shape a little bit here, Stu, anything, uh, any, anything that sticks out to you as we've kind of, kind of doubled up on doing a bit of a rundown on all the players there. Well, I did find it uh, funny that in the same announcement of, uh, Rob Brower, they also included, Kobe Faust, like two opposites mm. on the age category. But then again, you know, uh, with youth comes speed and agility, and with age comes experience and knowledge. So mm-hmm. I like that. And it's, although that's the thing, Brower is 39, Faust is only 19. You could have another player that was 20 years old in that time frame, also <laughs> maybe playing. <laughs> In MLR at some point. That, uh, um, yeah, I mean, that is that. Is, so are, are, you're saying like Rob Brower could be Kobe Foster's dad, or at least is old enough to be Kobe Foster's dad? Is that what you're saying? I'm saying the math is there, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm not implying anything. I'm just saying that there could have been a player that was born when Rob Brower was 20 or 19 himself that would be still eligible or older when. Yeah, that's how time works, man. Anyway. Time is a flat circle, as we found out these past few years. <laughs> um, you know, I think uh, there's a, been a lot of hype, especially around James O'Neill. Um, there was the reason why uh, the LA Giltini selected him during the draft is one of the um, contributing factors to having 
uh, him be acquired in the trade with uh, Ben Lesage. I'm going to be interested to see uh, Robinson Bartlett and Matt Hood yeah. play, you know, Antipodeans, opposite sides of the way, you know, the Tasman between the two of them. And, uh, you know, it should be interesting. Um, as you said, uh, Robinson Bartlett has experience with the current or, well, from today's date, the current coaching staff. Mm. Um, Matt Hood, um, as we said, played with the Aussie Sevens um, and has decided to move back to the 15s since he was dropped from the long list for the Olympics in 2021. But, well, there's... It's like the 2020 Olympics played in 2020. It's like the World Cup. The 2021 <laughs> yeah, World I, Cup played in 2022. I Again, time is a flat circle. Let's Okay, let's be honest, man. Like, the only reason that none of these sports organizations are renaming their events is because they already spent the money on signs and, like, T-shirts and stuff. Yeah, of course. Right? That's That's got to be it, right? Because I, I get legitimately cannot keep track of, um, yeah, like the 2021. No. The 2020 Olympics were like five months ago in 2021. Yeah. And then like, what's the rugby, the, uh, the rugby world cup is like the rugby world cup. 2021, 2021 played, played in, 2022. in 2022. Just, yeah. uh, it's, it's going to be funny. It's going to be funny looking back on this and being like the, abs- the absurdity of yeah. Stanley cup being awarded in like October that one year. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's going to be. Yeah. What a time. Well, at least you won't be uh, mixing up your anniversary again next time uh, that happens. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's going to be the problem. I'll be like, oh, I forgot the. Uh... Yeah. You yeah. Bring exactly. that up every single yeah, year. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, I every, every I... October. It's like, oh, it's our anniversary, is it? Yeah, okay. exactly. It's like, this was during the Stanley Cup, right? And because um, it was during the Stanley Cup. So it's like, hey, remember that one year that the, the Stanley Cup's going to be in like. The Stanley Cup's going to be in like July, maybe. I don't know. We'll see how the, I guess, you know, this is a bit of a tangent, but I guess we'll see how the NHL with all their postponements and everything. Um, That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I guess, but they got, because the players aren't going to the Olympics now, which is a whole different talk, but it's like, um, I guess they got a three week window that they can make up the games. Maybe they don't have to push it back anymore. It's crazy how much this is still like just, yeah, havoc on like, sports and everything um but that i what's well, that's a tangent that yeah, we don't have to get too into it at all well we'll get into how covid is affecting rugby especially in a bit but before we go into that i just want to mention some notable departures from the arrows which have been um, announced to us through america's rugby news um so uh brian thanks for letting us know this um so notable departures unfortunately uh manuel diana has been announced to have left the team as well, which is a real shame because I know that he was an incredible signing. However, there was also a rumor last year about him um, going to Bristol and everyone agreed as like, yeah, as soon as um, that kind of money comes into the picture, then maybe not. Obviously he stuck around for 2021, but maybe he's decided that now's the time to uh, um, go to passages new and wish. Then we've had uh, Manuel Montero, who I know is gaining a bit of popularity, especially amongst uh, Arrows fans, especially his uh, performance against New York with his hat trick of tries there. I know that was great to watch. Uh, Joaquin Tukulet. Now, this is um, now this is a bit interesting because when he was signed, he was signed on a multi-year deal, um, but it appears now that he has decided that he's returned to Argentina. He's returned to amateur-level rugby, so it now, obviously, he retired from test duty before joining the Arrows. That's a disappointing loss, I've got to say, because I, I was thinking, especially when the initial press release came out, it's like, oh, well, we can see him in 2022. And it's like, you can in Argentina. But uh, yeah, as, as we all know, especially over the past couple of years, plans change and you know things can't be set in stone. Um, Taylor Adams has also left. And Pat Parfrey has decided to um, turn his focus to his studies, which, as an epidemiologist, okay, definitely relevant at uh, this time of... Uh... So, to all those players, all five that we've just mentioned, thank you for your contributions to 
the arrows. Um, I know we as fans truly appreciate it. Um, for those who are going on to Passage New, we wish you all the best. For those who have decided to hang up the boots, then thank you for your service to the game. And those that are hopefully taking a year out, we hope to see you back in Arrows Colors as soon as possible. Now, we've been mentioning lockdowns and coronavirus, and something that came about is that um, the OUA was not classified as an elite amateur league by the Ontario government. Now, as someone who only found out what OUA stands for about a week ago, I'm probably not the best person to talk about this. However, we do have a Canadian that grew up under the OUA system. So Derek, take it away. Yeah, so I guess if you uh, don't know what the OUA is, so obviously Canada um, University Sport is, there's a governing body for that. That's called U Sports. And uh, most of the provinces or collections of provinces kind of regionally have their own, you know, mini governing body within that. Um, so on the OUA is Ontario University Sport, which I mean, any friends south of the border, I mean, I mean, you you get how the NCAA works and how like the Big Ten and everything kind of fits into that, right? Um, it's kind of the same thing. So basically, the OUA is the governing body um, for university level sport in Ontario. Um, Similarly, there is the um, OCAA, Ontario College Athletic Association, um, which is the governing body for co um, college sports in Ontario as well. And essentially, as we kind of alluded to, um, which is really, I mean, without getting like super political or whatever on the podcast here, um, kind of unfortunate that we like in Ontario, we're back into a essentially a lockdown situation where pretty much everything that is fun is closed. And, uh, <laughs> but, um, if you, if you work, you still got to go to work, but everything fun's closed. Um, but part of that is that the, I don't, and I mean, this doesn't necessarily impact rugby at the moment because it's not the university rugby sort of season right now. Um, but it is just kind of like one of, I don't know. It just, I guess it just really like kind of annoyed me. And it's like rugby is obviously part of the OUA, OCAA, um, um, you know, at the, uh, for both for women's rugby. And then obviously there's that whole thing with uh, men's rugby, not really having proper youth sports status, which is another issue entirely. Um, but basically the OU, when the Ontario government shut everything down, pro sports are still allowed to happen. Right, which obviously you see in the NHL, the NBA right now. Um, you see, the, obviously, the Toronto Arrows are still training. Um, but they basically shut down all amateur sports except for a handful of leagues that they deemed to be an elite amateur league, um, which includes the uh, the CHL, which to, is to the surprise of absolutely nobody, um, the PWHL. And then it, quite frankly, it gets kind of weird after that. Like, I don't think anybody's shocked that we're keeping like major junior hockey and women's hockey up. Um, but then, but it was like the elite baseball league of Ontario, which I'm not even quite sure what that is, to be honest with you. Um, there is a uh, league one soccer junior a lacrosse, which again, kind of fair and maybe not as lucrative as hockey, but um sure and then you got a uh, women's field lacrosse as well and high school basketball um which is kind of interesting because like high school basketball players also kind of go up to become university level basketball players mm -hmm. um but it's also so either way so those are the only leagues that were deemed elite um elite amateur leagues by the ontario government and which essentially means that the OUA and the OCA are completely shut down um, for every sport. And I just think like, it's just like, I don't know. I guess it's just a super, it's a really like annoying, I guess, stance from like the government. Cause I mean, you take out, like you kind of look at the way MLR is developing right now. Right. And, you know, like university and university rugby to a certain at least age demographic or people that are still in school is arguably like is one of the highest levels that you can play as amateur rugby right um you know obviously you can move on and play like you know top like you know top level 
club rugby um, for, you know, where, wherever you may be after that and stuff, right. Which is still like a good level. And obviously a lot of like the arrows played in like, you know, the Marshall premiership and top level amateur rugby in, in Ontario. But a lot of you kind of look at the Ontario, the Toronto arrows roster and, you know, a lot of those players are also former, you know, OUA or OCAA rugby players, especially obviously the guys that grew up and are from Ontario. Right. And you kind of look at, you know, the way the system is sort of set up right now, like in major league rugby, like the draft, isn't like a club level draft or something, right. They're not drafting like the top amateur players, not necessarily like the NHL where it's like, you can, they just kind of draft people based on age. It doesn't really matter, you know, if they're in school or just playing major junior hockey or playing overseas in Europe or whatever. Right. Like the, the rules of the major league rugby draft are specifically mentioned to be saying that, you know, you have to be in school, right. The, to be eligible for the draft. Right. And it's like, I kind of look at the draft last year and it's like, Emerson Pryor was drafted by Utah. So he goes to Trent. So he's an OUA rugby player. And then you also have Sam Mace, who was drafted by Toronto, um, drafted by Toronto. He's goes to Ottawa, which is kind of a weird situation because Ottawa is in Ontario. Some teams play OUA, some teams play in Quebec. The rugby team's actually in Quebec, but um, because it's the Ontario government and Ottawa is physically in Ontario, um, they're shut down too anyways. Um, but you know, and then you kind of look at that. Right. And it's like, so basically the Ontario government just said that like, you know, playing at that unit that level isn't considered elite sports. Right. And, and to even kind of go further, further than that too, um, there was 30, 39 OUA athletes at the Tokyo Olympics, um, this past year. There's 91 OUA players that are now currently in the CFL, right? And I mean, like I said, it's like that doesn't... Yeah, Stu, there you go. You have your bright yellow CFL hat on because you knew I would make that point, right? And it's like I got got those numbers off Sportsnet watching, uh, you know, Tim and Friends on Sportsnet. And, you know, they kind of kind of got into it a little bit in there. And it's just, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, like, like I just don't understand how, how we as like our it's just it feels crazy that our government you know sits here and is like you know OUA sports like university level sports aren't considered elite when it's like you look at it and you know in the MLR right now and it's like you know if you want to go with OUA the provincial equivalent across the board right um guys obviously Canadian players got drafted from schools in BC as well and then you know um right and it's like the MLR draft is looking at guys playing OUA rugby or, you know, Ontario university rugby and stuff. And obviously like a good chunk of the women's national team plays OUA rugby or the equivalent in whichever province that they grow up in. Right. And, or whichever school that um, each individual player attends, right. A lot of the players on the women's team. And even like, for example, like Sophie de Goody, right now by the Ontario the government is not an elite athlete. Yeah. Based on the literal definition that the Ontario government just put in, she's not an elite athlete. Right. She's, you know, I mean, she's on the Canadian national team has played for played, played professionally in England, but by this definition, because she's on Queens, she wouldn't be considered an elite athlete. Um, It's crazy. It's also, it's, it's just, I just think it's crazy. And I don't know. I was just up like, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, we kind of think, um, and it's like, you kind of look like south of the border sometimes. And it's like, you know, and I think culturally in Canada, we obviously have a bit of a different approach to like university and like school related sports than our friends south of the border do. Um, but, you know, it's, it, it is kind of like one of those things where, it's, you know, we've spent the last like year being like, what, what does rugby Canada got to do to like, get better and stuff and sometimes it's like you know you kind of look at stuff like this and it's like yeah man like we have governments that don't even consider like the some of the top available players that you can have like i mean like we're ben lesage played at the last world cup as a essentially a university player like his team at the world cup was listed as ubc 
like when you're looking at like the team sheet and what club the guy plays for, right? Um, and it's university and stuff. It's it's just it's crazy. And it's like I think you kind of look at it and it's like, yeah, like part of it too, like our governments don't even consider like university athletics to be, you know, considered an elite performance, high performance sport, despite the fact that it's like some of these, these amateur athletes that are going to school and stuff are representing Canada. It's just, it's just, it's annoying to kind of just to see, right. Cause especially, you know, as a rugby fan too, knowing how important like university and collegiate rugby is, the fact that it's like pretty much almost every player on the arrows has played this level. Right. And um, not considered elite though. Right. And then like, it's um, it's, 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 I don't know. I don't really have much else to say on this other than it is absolutely nuts that these get that the, um, the athletes are not considered elite. Like it's crazy. And I know sometimes like in Canada, maybe like, you know, there's not a whole lot of like youth, like sports net TSN. They don't necessarily show a whole lot of like youth sports events maybe outside of like you know maybe out, outside of like the vanier cup or like carlton's basketball team um might get on tv especially if they're playing the random times that they play ncaa teams um but you know so there's not a whole lot of oua sports like on tv or that's like commercially necessarily commercially viable but you know that doesn't make it not elite by any stretch and it's like i just I don't know. It's a it's a one of many mind boggling decisions from uh, the Ontario provincial government as of late. But that's the end of my rant. I don't even know if it sounded good. And probably I didn't even make a great point there, other than just be like, it's ridiculous. I don't know, Stu. Any thoughts on this now that you're uh... now that I'm all uh, up to speed? I've actually found um, the o- the OUA have released a statement saying yeah. behind the scenes on the sidelines. And certainly on the playing field, this recognition is well-deserved for the talented individuals that make up the conference as is witnessed year in and year out. The notion and the hardworking student-athletes who have long strived towards the goal of competing at the post-secondary level and proudly representing one of the OUA's 20-member institutions in the sport they love aren't considered elite by the government of Ontario is a disservice to the dedication, commitment, and talent that they continue to show on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, but I think even like part of the non-classification, it's not that like games are shut down, which have been shut down for like a while. Like they uh, shut down a lot yeah. of the winter sports seasons early, um, heading into like the Christmas break and stuff. They shut that down. And I think they were planned on being shut down for a little bit in January anyways. Um, so, but it's like, so it's like you kind of have that, but it's like they're they're not allowed to like get together as a team and like train or anything. It's not that they're just not playing games. Yeah. Um, and I mean, to be honest, it's like, you know, maybe if it was just like a blanket, like, hey, all all amateur sports stop or whatever. And I think people would kind of like shrug a little bit more about that. Yeah. Um, it just seems to be like, yeah, the, C- the CHL is going to be upset no matter what, because there's like legit money to be made um you know in major junior hockey here in canada um but um so i don't think anybody would ever be surprised like that's would be surprised that that keeps going but like it's just it you know what i mean it's just but it's like the other sports that got classified right being like high school basketball is elite but like when those players get older and go to a post-secondary school that's not elite um you know it, it right and it's like yeah, it but even at that sense. right it's like you know what i mean like a lot of too like you know looking at like the junior a lacrosse and stuff right and it's like you know pe- people go and play for their school after they play you know lacrosse or whatever right and, and like yeah even the chl right like even uh oua hockey like it's got a lot of former ohl players in that league right so i don't yeah. it's a uh, it's mind-boggling and stuff i know i saw a couple of like the arrows players and stuff that did play in like the OUA kind of like retweeting or, you know, sharing that, po- that OUA statement to their story and stuff. And it's, um, it's, it's just, I don't know. It's just, it's nonsense. It's maddening or like, it's that they're not considered elite, especially like knowing, like, you know, you just look at the two base ones. It's like, it's the number, it's the biggest feeder league to the CFL. Right, which has a Canadian roster um, quota that you need to fill out. So it's like 
the or sorry, like the the youth sports as a whole, but like I don't know province to province which province produces the most CFL players, but um, right, and it's like so there's so many guys that played that, and it's like the the you know when you hold the CFL draft, it's like you're drafting all like youth sports level slash OUA guys. Doesn't and you know what I mean? So like that's not elite or whatever, but it's um. You know, like literally, like you said, it's, uh, you know, guys like Emerson Pryor played in, played for Trent in our pro and were able to so good that a professional team wants them to play for them this year. Right. So um, it's, uh, I don't know. That's the end of my rant or whatever. Annoyed. I'm just annoyed by it or whatever. Hopefully it's, hopefully, I mean, hopefully we're all kind of allowed to go outside again soon anyways. Well, the government may allow us. The weather may say otherwise, but I get what you mean. I mean, I was, I'm just annoyed that like the gyms are closed. Like, yeah. so you can't eat. So even if you wanted to work out as an amateur athlete yeah. in a gym, you can't do it. No, McDonald's, so, McDonald's is still open though. So I mean, yeah. But do they have the real egg sandwiches that Timmy's have? Yeah. Well, man, if farmers wrap though, if you're gonna get anything from Timmy's though, it's gotta be the farmers wrap. Anyway, okay, now I think we're going off on a tangent. Uh, okay, so um, again, something else enough, Something yeah. else that happened that was more specific to rugby and indeed the MLR. Yes, let's talk about a fun we thing. A fun thing. About, yeah, let's talk about fun thing. Let's positive go. Thing, fun um, thing. Is a new docuseries called Inside the Scrum. It can be found on Fox Sports 2 in the United States with um, repeat going on the Rugby Network. This is a docu-series uh, following the Austin Gilgronies during the 2021 season. Um, at the time of recording, there were three episodes out, but the third episode came out today, so we've only seen the first two. Um, and, you know, this isn't the first uh, documentary series uh, following a rugby team. You know, on Amazon Prime, there's All or Nothing with the um, New Zealand All Blacks. As well, obviously, this is not to the same scale of production. Here, I have, have a quick question for you. Yeah, is that the only one you can think of? Uh, off the top of my head, there's also things like the story of rugby on CBC Gem, which is also Ooh, on Amazon Prime. That? That's not following States. a team, though. That's just a straight up like that's a history documentary. That's not following a team. Well, well it's following like the RFU. In the it's sense not a of, team, that's where, as that's in that's where, that's where the money is. So we're going to follow them and all their faults. No, emphasis like, on the faults. How, but, how many? But anyway, anyway, let's focus on this new series um, following the ages. Um, so, like I said, the first two episodes have come out. Episode one follows um, the first six games, I believe, of the first season. The of sorry. Um, the first episode follows the first six games of the 2021 season. Episode two has a reflection on the preseason and prior seasons of Austin, back when they were the Austin elite and just before the 2020 season. And then it continues following the um, Austin season up to that point, I think up to game eight. And it ends with a victory for the AGs, but the downside is that Connor Mooneyham has suffered a concussion during the game. Mm -hmm. So what have you made of these um, two episodes that you've seen, Derek? Yeah, I've actually, I've uh, really liked them so far. Like you said, um, three episodes out at the time we were recording, but the third episode like just came out, so I haven't actually had time to watch it. Um, so we'll keep this discussion to the uh, the first two episodes. And I guess, are we, are we spoiling things here? Or are we kind of... Well, I've just given a brief synopsis. And yeah, also, I guess I was going to say. If you've seen the season. Yeah, the season, season actually happened. You guys. already yeah. know what happened. So. Um, I really, I really, I really liked it, man. I think when I look at something like inside the scrum, um, like I said, it's like when I asked you kind of like, is that all blacks one? The only thing that you can think of is, I mean, I know that there's been more. I think there was like chasing the sun um, for like the spring yeah. box, um, which is like impossible to find legally. Um, yeah, but it's, you know, there's, there doesn't seem to be like a whole lot of things like this for rugby in general, yet alone rugby, an American team or a North American team. Um, so I think like just the idea 
to actually do this show um immediate just that's perfect that's great i'm so i uh, like when they when i saw that this was being done i was so happy that major league rugby was doing it um or the austin gogronis are doing it um and then you know so like watching it though too like i think with i think with something like this um the parts that i really enjoy because it's like i know how the season played out and stuff right um when you kind of have shows like this i think you know, the one thing that kind of fascinates me and stuff about these kind of documentaries is you get to learn a little bit more about the actual players and the coaching staff themselves, right? And I think when it really all comes down to it, like sports on one hand is about the athletic competition that's actually taking place, right? But on the other hand, it's about like the story behind that athletic competition that's taking place. Right. And, you know, when you kind of look around um, professional like North American sports right now, it's, you know, the leagues that do like that are, you know, succeeding the most, whether it's like financially or viewership or whatever, it's like they're the leagues that are the best at creating those stories. Right. And making like, you know, like I said, it's like the NBA, I think, is is a good example as a good example, because it's like in the NBA, it's like all the players are like their own like personalities and brands and everything. Right. It's like, they all have so that you can kind of follow it. And I think that's incredibly important. And I think like looking through this, um, the first two episodes and it's like, I think, you know, I thought there was some like really good, like story building elements to it Um, to like a couple kind of jumped out at me a little bit. Um, was like them talking to Mac Mason about his grandfather and having like showing the team wearing the black armbands, him talking about like how much that meant to him and then having that lead into his game winning penalty goal against Atlanta. Right. And it's like, that's, you know, in like however long that scene was like two minutes or whatever in two minutes, you made me care about like, mac mason a lot in that like that's good storytelling um so i like i really did enjoy that i thought also the same thing it's like connor mooneyham get getting seems connor mooneyham getting quite the amount of screen time in this show um but it's like but because of that though it's like you know you had the things where it was like um you're showing him like visiting like the restaurant that he used to work at fishing with his dad um you know, showing like showing things like, you know, Sam Harris on vacation with his family, like on a bye week or preseason or um, whenever, whenever that national parks trip where he was talking about some a Prada that's in the middle of the desert, which I really don't like. I, I don't understand the appeal to that. But Sam Harris seemed to have fun. And that is the most important part of that. Like you kind of said, right, this episode two kind of ends where Connor Mooneyham got hurt. But it's like as you're watching that as a viewer, like it's like I like. As someone watching it and stuff, the storytelling, like if you're not a rugby fan, right, and you don't know how this season plays out, the fact that you've kind of introduced Connor Mooneyham as like, you know, like a one of the main players on the team, um, a bit of a major character. It's like by the time you hit that end of the second episode when he gets hurt, it's like you really, it feels like you care that he got hurt, right? Yeah. It's like you really care that that you know, and it's like you know, you're kind of cheering for him to, uh, you know, to come back later in the season and stuff already. So I thought from that, that perspective and stuff, I thought, I thought it did well. Cause I think, I think to me, that's like the number one thing that these shows have to do, right. Is like, they have to create like the stories and, uh, or show the stories that took place, like kind of during the season, make, um, you know, turn like, you know, especially, you, you know, turn, especially in like a sport that's kind of like new, um, to a North yeah. American audience. I think it's really important because it's like, you know, everybody kind of has like a vague idea of who LeBron James is, right? Yeah. Or like, you know, who Tom Brady is and stuff, right? If so you wanted to put like, if you put like a, you know, like a Tom Brady, like documentary and something like on ESPN or whatever, it's like people kind of have their own opinions on Tom Brady and stuff right now. But you know what I mean? It's like when you're introducing a sport to North American fans, it's like you do have to kind of put in, a little bit of that, you know, here's like some of the personal stories of the guys on the team. And this is why, you know, it's, it's, you know, they have that whole Sam Harris intro where he's talking about how great rugby is, how the physicality and all that. 
And it's like, that is, that's great. But it's like, you also need to sell the sport using the people that are in the sport and the stories that are in the sport. And, you know, I think, I, I thought they did a good job conveying, um, you know, a few of those, uh, the stories for the Austin Gilgronis um, during, uh, you know, for some of the players. And I hope over the next, like I said, three episodes out right now, haven't watched the third one, but I hope over the next like four episodes or whatever, they kind of, you know, kind of lean in and like flesh out. I want to say like character development, just because it's obviously writing on TV, but obviously, hey, they're not actually characters, they're real people, but like, you know, flesh out some of the stories of a lot of the other players on the team and stuff, right? Yeah. Well, I got asked about this on Reddit because I'd previously wondered, oh, is this going to be MLR's version of Drive to Survive? So if you're not a Formula One fan, Drive to Survive is the Netflix show um, that details each season of Formula One. But it does it in a very dramatic way so that if you're a fan of the sport, you know some glaring irregularities when they talk about certain things. And and in the sense that Drive to Survive builds up the drama more Mm. than the sport itself. So I and I responded saying that it's closer to an actual documentary, it's closer to all or nothing than Drive to Survive. But even then, it doesn't have the level of manufactured drama that's in all to Mm. all or nothing as well. But there are a few issues that I've found with the show so far. And you can say, oh, it's I'm going to put it down to its infancy. It's not, uh, you know, maybe a season two or three of a different team may be able to address these issues, but it's things like this. Like, so I said that episode two goes to preseason and it also explains how Adam Gilchrist became the owner of Austin. Mm. And that's explained in about three or four minutes when now, if you, want I to, would, you want to see more of that, yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, is that you want to get people attached to this team, so you need to show them, I think, at their lowest, but that they're trying hard. So you can show, um, let's say, for example, the 2019 season, because they do bring it up. That they, they do, went. yeah, cause they have that. Uh, like, I think guys having like breakfast or whatever, like the four, yeah, they're having a meal of like, some description. like four and guys that have been there yeah. for like the entire run of Austin MLR, yeah. And they're talking about it. And I now personally, I would feel like you should open with 2019 talking about how you came so close in so many games and you're the first team to go zero and 16 in an MLR season. And then you open with, and then you continue. So the episode ends with the purchase of um, Austin by Adam Gilchrist and being rebranded as the Gilgronies. And then the final bit is um, game five of the 2020 season. So the last game of the shortened season, um, winning the game, the first game they've won in like two years at that point, lifting the Texas Cup. And then the start episode two with um, COVID's canceled the season with, and then you move ahead to the start of the 2021 season. Cause I just feel like the pacing of this is the beginning yeah, of the 2021 here. season. Now we're going oh, to that, the preseason. Now we're going back to the season. The, That's the a one, bit jarring for me. I mean, okay. One, I'm watching book of Boba Fett right now. So flashbacks are uh, flashbacks are easy to follow. They're not that bad. Um, I know, but when it comes to, when it comes to a fictional, drama yeah. that's one thing when well, it comes say, to sports the one something else the one big thing though that i think you're missing with that is they probably had a film crew following them for the 2021 season i know and but in the sense probably, so so what i think is that you know that they, they like breakfast scene it pre- with them around the table i think they could have done that for um talking about 2019 like and 2020 episode. I and think, then you can I think, have the yeah. actual genuine emotional reactions to it of like, we were so close at this game. We were so near for that. We were only having a hundred and so, so people. You just, in- you just kind of would have switched the order of how they did that really. I like, would have switched the order. Um, oh, yeah. the, se- the second point I want to make is this is again, it's something that I feel is important, but is something that can be improved as how this goes on is target audience because I don't know what this is for because if it's for the diehard fans like the AG you know paint yourself orange to go along to bold stadium 
they're going to know all the main details. And yes, the extra insight helps. Um, but for new fans, while you did say, while I would agree, like, yes, Connor Mooneyham, like highlighting him in episode one and then him getting concussion in episode two, that is a good step. Is that I don't know as a new fan of this sport enough about this team to get invested in them. So I'm not, so obviously we won't be able to know this until we see like viewing figures for um, inside the scrum on Fox Sports 2 if this has been successful. But I do feel as though there needs to have been a more emotional connection to the team as a whole rather than just like Mac Mason for like two minutes and Connor Mooneyham for like four minutes. You need to build, you have to give the audience why should. I care about this team, which is why I say you open with talking about uh, 2019 and 2020. So you can say, this is us as our lowest. And this is where we go from here. Because everyone likes an underdog. Um, but that's it. I've got to say that Connor Mooneyham's uh, concussion showing that it's not a, as soon as you see it kind of thing, it happens. It's a very gradual thing. Like, obviously um, we know with, um, Rowan's Law in Ontario, the importance of second impact syndrome and preventing that and concussion play. So I think that is incredibly important, not just for uh, fans of rugby, but fans of sport, especially contact sport in general, that they understand that concussion is very complicated. And in, to be honest, any brain injury, because that is what concussion is, can have different factors and isn't just as clear cut as um, other things can present it to be. That's why, so that's my um, view of Inside the Scrum. I think it's a good start. I'd like to see it be built upon for next season. Um, but my question is, we say, what team would you like to see featured in 2022? I'm gonna change it slightly. What team would you like to see featured in 2022 that isn't the Arrows? Because I know that we would both mm. say the Arrows. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I think, um... You know, first of all, I think the only thing that I was like, I kind of wish I saw out of the first two episodes that we didn't, is that moment um, in the first episode where um, Sam Harris and Hugh Roach sit down and Sam Harris is basically like, dude, you played, you played terribly on the weekend. And Hugh Roach turns to the camera and is like, do we have to film this? I want it to be like, yes, 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 you do. Um, that would be. I want to see that conversation. If you're, if you're going to put the camera there in the room for like, that's, I think that would be, uh, you know, get, get like a, something that get something trending on social media for like um, some crazy, I think like that kind of insight and stuff would be uh, like, if you filmed it, if you, I, it makes me wonder the stuff that they didn't film that was not put into the movie. And I kind of want to see that. Um, a team, so a team that's not, uh, uh, let's say not Austin. And I mean, yeah, like I would say Toronto because that's my favorite team. Also, probably interesting. Also, obviously, it'd be an interesting team to follow too. Um, you know, Toronto 2021 would have been a very interesting um, sort of docuseries. Um, but I think, I mean, I think with if you go star, if you got to go star power and stuff, I think LA, LA seems to be the, yeah. uh, the off, I, I feel like it would be LA if you were to do a different team. Um, yeah, you? Uh, I'm kind of torn between two teams. One, I'd say that if I had to pick one, it would be New York, just because I think that's going to have a lot more of a broader appeal, because even if you don't know rugby, you do know New York, eh. if that makes sense. Uh, huh. The other one would be Dallas, because I'd oh, like yeah, them the to team? talk yeah. about how getting prepared for 2021 and then having to yeah. withdraw and then focus on 2022. But like I said, this is a, I think it's a really great uh, series so far. I'm looking forward to watching episode three after this uh, recording ends and then watching the remaining uh, episodes in the buildup to the 2022 season. Yeah. All right. Okay. We've only got a little time left. So we're going to look at other MLR news now, obviously being off for, uh, Three or four weeks means that there's been a lot of signings. And if you just want to a get couple. late, yeah, just a odd one here and there. Yeah. Um, yeah just, um, I didn't, didn't like Dallas announce their entire team while we were gone or something. Like, 
I think Dallas announced that everyone they'd signed yeah. had filled up. So then they just announced the general roster as a whole, as yeah. well as their development players as well. Um, mm. Like I said, there's been a lot of names. We're not going to name them all. Um, I would recommend that if you are interested in who's um, been signed by what team to follow MLR stats on Instagram. Um, but we're going to focus, as we always do, on the Canadian players. So the first one up, it had been kind of spoiled by Rugby Canada with the sevens announcement yeah. uh, in the start of the uh, New World Series. But it's now official. Andrew Coe has joined New York or Rugby New York, Rugby United New York, New York, New York. <laughs> the city's so nice, they named it twice. The orange um, and blue it, rugby team. Exactly. Um now, this is the only trade from one team to another, and it's Mo Abdelmonam, who is staying in Texas, but is leaving Austin to join Dallas. So that'll be interesting to watch. Obviously, Mo didn't have... Was that uh, a trade? I thought he just signed there. Was that a trade? He was traded, and Austin received nothing. So it's always technically a signing, but... Well, I mean, what I mean is just he's moving from one city in Texas to another city in Texas. <laughs> um, but, you know, um, we were watching Abdelmonam's um, progress in 2021. Unfortunately, he got injured and that ruled him out for the remainder of the season. Um, so I am looking forward to seeing what he can do um, for the Jackals. Um, over in Los Angeles, Lindsey Stevens has re-signed with the Giltinis. Um in New England, Regan O'Gorman has signed again with the Free Jacks. Mm-hmm. And in DC, the former Arrow, Luke Campbell, has re-signed for Old Glory. So, you know, only so of that long list of those number of weeks, only five Canadians really stood out. There are some um, other interesting trades as well. I think there's more interesting stuff going on from the coaching staff. As well, like Aaron Jarvis has joined Dallas as an assistant coach. Uh, Kane Thompson is now the new head coach of the NOLA Gold as well. Um, but an interesting uh, development is that uh, New York's Harry Bennett, although he declared in December, has announced his retirement from the sport. So, Harry, thank you very much for your service, both to New York and MLR and rugby as a whole. And wish you all the best in the next steps of your journey. So of that list of five Canadians, um, you know, we've only four of them competed in MLR last year. Obviously Andrew Coe has been with the sevens, but is there any of those five that you're excited to see come play in 2022? Yeah, I think kind of looking at that, it's like, it's obviously nice to see Luke Campbell back um, with, you know, with Old Glory. Um, Old Glory kind of has a nice little Canadian contingent there with Frazier and Il Nicky already as well. Obviously, they had Hearn last year too. So, um, as uh, Il Nicky takes his room in the uh, Canadian house. I was going to say, I think, I think they were, did they not like, did, did somebody not refer to it as like the Canadian embassy at one point, like where they live? <laughs> um, That's brilliant. But uh, yeah, so it's like that. That's obviously nice to see. Um, Mo Abdelmanum, um, you know, still probably probably one of the more underrated guys in major league rugby. Right. And I liked, um, I did like the, uh, the Jackals announcement of him because it's, you know, the one thing that he is known for doing extremely well is uh Jackal. So it's like one of, uh, you know, the best Jackler in Texas, um, is now on the Jackals. Right. So, um, that's going to be, there's a lot of how many times we're going to say Jackal so many times this year. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it's, uh, you know, so that's going to be great to see, man. And be, you know, obviously too, like joining an expansion team, right? That's a lot of, that is a lot of like room for opportunity. The other flankers on, on Dallas right now are um, the, possibly the greatest name in major league rugby, Charlie McKill, um, Calvin Gentry, um, Bronson Tellis, who we, we know from last year as well. And, Amir Oy M. Honlin. Um, sorry, uh, apologies if I uh, butchered that pronunciation. Um, so it's like they got they got some like young flankers. Um, no, like, and when I kind of look at that too, and it's like you know Charlie McKill's played for the Scotland Sevens, but it's like I don't I don't know if there's necessarily like a clear cut who's going to start on that team, right? So there's some uh, you know there's some opportunities there. Um, 
Lindsey Stevens, I mean, he's going to slot back in um, with uh, the LA Giltinis, who, um, you know, obviously, you know, they, that's the LA Giltinis they've had. Um, I think the most impressive thing with the LA Giltinis to me right now is that they managed to retain so many of their players and they still brought in guys and added to that too. Obviously, Stevens will be, you know, Canadian eligible and they, you know, DTH is there, Lesage is there. Um, you know, Canadian hooker, he's now got a Canadian loose head prop to help him out too with D, uh, um, Justice Sears Duru. Um, so that, you know, LA kind of really beefing up the Canadian content and keeping Stevens around also kind of helps that. Um, Regan O'Gorman will be, I think will be fun. Let's get an all Canadian engine room going in, uh, in new England. He can line up beside, uh, Josh Larson, which is, you know, that'll be, uh, you know, hopefully well, Josh big Larson help. was being lonely, being the only Canadian on the squad. Yeah, exactly. So they put, they put a Canadian one. right next to him too. Um, I thought O'Gorman looked pretty good in the, uh, the coastal cup, the, the couple of games, the games that he played for, uh, for East van. So, um, you know, kind of nice to see him coming back. Co, I feel like. I know we're saying we put Co on this, but I feel like we talked about Co a little bit before. Um, maybe yeah, we I'm talked not. about it when it was leaked. When it, oh, leaked. when it was leaked, when Rugby Canada told everyone. Ah, uh, well, all right. So I guess so. It's official now. Is that the only that's yeah, the only so difference that's here? About, yeah, yeah. So I mean, like, um, you know, it's good. I'm excited to see what he does. Um, you know, coming coming back to the 15s game after uh, you know representing Canada at the Olympics in sevens and. Um, Nice to see, like you know, Canadians kind of being spread around the league more, and you know, more guys, more guys coming in and joining the league. And you know, guys, even if it's not with the same team, like O'Gorman and um, Abdelmanum, like it's nice to see guys kind of, um, you know, you know, being able to like move to move to different teams, still finding jobs in Major League Rugby as well. I guess Austin's uh, Canadian contingent's kind of going to be a little bit, uh, a little bit uh, smaller than uh, than last year by now, eh? Yeah, definitely uh, thinned out, you can say. Mm-hmm. Um, Still, obviously, I think the biggest thing, though, too, is it's like there's still, you know, there's obviously some other, like, really interesting moves across the league as a whole, too, right? Like, I think, you know, we kind of mentioned, um, you know, L.A.'s resigning a lot of guys. Um, King Thompson being the head coach of NOLA, um, I feel like that's a big change, um, especially considering, you know, Nate Osborne kind of being at the forefront of that team for a while. And, you know, Nola being one of the most consistent at retaining players and coaches and everything. Um, LA seems like they're kind of beefing up. New York looks like they're beefing up a little bit. San Diego looks like they're trying to go back to becoming what we all thought the San Diego Legion were two years ago. Um, the Houston, maybe low key, the most interesting team. Um, they have like what, five, six guys, six guys coming back, six, seven guys coming back. Um, they're basically an expansion team too. So, um, who knows what that, uh, how that roster is going to be able to perform under, um, Henneke Meyer too. Right. So, um, preseason just two weeks away. So it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see how this, uh, starts to shape up as we, you know, kind of look closer and get into a little, get it, start getting into some season previews and start, uh, making some predictions here. So unfortunately, it will be two weeks until we can see the MLR teams taking part in preseason. However, there is rugby coming up this weekend. We have the Champions and Challenge Cup, which you can view on epcrugby.tv. It's 20 euros for a entire weekend. So that includes Challenge and Champions Cup games. So, you know, time them out and uh, you can pay at most $5 a game. So should we work out? Wow, that did that did not make it sound less expensive than what it actually is. I I I don't handle the money on this side. I was gonna I mean, say I I love I love the idea at the end of this podcast where we kind of promote where you can watch rugby, but like there's there's no sugarcoating that that is a steep. Nope, price. not at all. It is what it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's okay. we don't we don't make the prices on this on the show. We don't we don't pick that is that is a steep one. However, we do have some good news if you're looking for pricing for free, for free? on the Rugby yeah. Network. It has recently been announced is the Japan League One. So all the action going on in Japan, they are showing two games live to North American territories, so that's the USA and Canada. And then all games will be shown on repeat uh, available online. You can actually get the first round on the Rugby Network right now. And it's not just uh, Japanese players. There's also some Kiwi players that played uh, during the past weekend, like Damian McKenzie, for example. Um, also, internationals, including Quade Cooper, were playing as well. 
So I believe that, uh, you know, if you want to wake up on a Monday morning and just have a load of rugby from Japan there for you, you know, something to tie you over um, between the days until MLR returns to our screens. I think that's definitely a way to go. All right. I think we can end the podcast there. Thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to see any more of our episodes, you can watch them on YouTube. If you'd like to listen to any more episodes, we're on all the podcasting, so Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor FM. Uh, We are available on social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and now we are on TikTok. And if you have any suggestions of what we can do on TikTok, please let us know on our platforms. We will say now, we're not doing any TikTok dances. That has been vetoed. You're going to do one. You're going to do one, Stu. It's gotta, we got to get the follower number up. It's, how, it's, how, it's what the people want to see, Stu. It's what they want to yeah. see, man. I know, but I've got to reel them in and then got to make them want it more and more and more. And <laughs> they, That's why they got to keep subscribing and following. That's how it works. Yeah. Now, if you're watching this episode on YouTube, you can clearly see our handles down below. But if you're listening and you want to follow Derek, Derek, where can they find you? At Perset the Jet across everything, um, including TikTok, too. Um, so, so follow the uh, LaRouge Rugby podcast and myself on TikTok. There is probably we need to come up with some content ideas before, as we're promoting this stuff. People can't just go to the page and see nothing, you know? You know, we will. We'll figure out something. We can tell them where they can watch uh, Inside the Scrum. That's where we're going to. There you go. Or we'll just do an account of just taking clips. There we of, go. Become uh, a do like uh, do a film reviews on all all the great rugby documentaries. Well, can do that. That's a start. That's a start. There we go. And if you'd like to follow me, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. My handle is Hardman, spelled H4RDMAN. And if you'd like to follow me on TikTok, you can find me at Stu Hardy. Thank you very much for joining us for a brand new episode in 2022. I hope that you can join us for the rest of the year, but at least until the next episode. Bye.